0: Please take your Bibles and go to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, um, that black Bible in the chair in front of you. If you need a Bible, pull out that black Bible in the chair in front of you on, I believe, page 162. <coughs> 162, 1 Timothy, chapter 1. <coughs> I'm gonna start reading verse 12. 1 Timothy, chapter 1. Verses 12 through 20, 12 to the end of the chapter of chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 through 20, page, excuse me, towards the back of that Bible, page 162. 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 12. I give thanks to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who strengthened me. Because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Though formerly a blasphemer and persecutor and violent aggressor, but I was given mercy because out of ignorance I acted in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was overflowingly abundant with the faith and love. Which are in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> Faithful is the word, worthy of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost. But I was given mercy for this reason. In order that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ may demonstrate his utmost patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life, now to the eternal king. Immortal, invisible, the only God, honor and glory unto the ages of the ages, amen. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may fight the good fight, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected, they've suffered shipwreck concerning the faith, among whom are himenaeus and Alexander, whom I've given to Satan, so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. My mom, who has branch retinal vein occlusion, She gets a shot in her eye every five to six weeks. Yeah, I know. It's pretty cool to watch though. It's pretty amazing. Um, I I get into that stuff. (coughs) So anyways, this past Monday I had to take her to her appointment (coughs) and uh, uh, I was talking to the doctor, Dr. Quinlan. He's a great doctor too. I mean, very cordial and yet knows what he's doing. Uh, He was talking about how uh, just five weeks ago um, when they were Going back down to Phoenix because the, 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 uh, the clinic is based in Phoenix and they come up here, I guess, certain times a month to do all these different shots for people who have these issues. Where it's it's uh, 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 macular degeneration, things like that. So they drive back down to Phoenix and he was saying they got caught in traffic going back down to Phoenix because there was a fire right near I 17. I think it was right there at the uh, interchange to go to Prescott 69. He says that there was a fire there that week. I think it was like the beginning of October when it was still blazing hot. Now it's freezing. Uh, um, And it made me think about I-17. It's the only way in and out of northern Arizona. I know what you're thinking. You're like, no, you can go this way down the 60. Yeah, if you want to do four hours. It's actually 12. Oh, no. Uh, So... And I, so I know, that's not the only way. But it sure does feel like it, practically speaking. In many regards, it's the only way to Flagstaff, Phoenix, is I-17 and only four lanes. Drives me nuts. And, and I say this, what's your point? A <laughs> little, little, little thing, commercial for ADOT, right? Make it six lanes for crying out loud. Uh, My point is this: It's an illustration of what is really completely the case when it comes to the gospel. It's all about the gospel. It has to be. It's all so. If you want a title for where Paul's going today, and it, 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 he continues on from verses one through eleven moving in this direction. First is, what's the goal? And now today, it's all about the gospel. It has to be. And in a statement for you, the gospel, not the law, is the only means to the goal. What's the goal? Verse five, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. Conscience, sincere faith. So it must be safeguarded. The gospel is the only means to the goal. So it must be safeguarded. If, if you want to narrow down these verses, verses 12 through 20, in any way, that's how you can narrow it down just one statement. The gospel, not, remember law? Remember it? Paul was talking about that in verses 8 through 11. And these false teachers were trying to use that to get people to be under the law. Do you remember that? So this is Paul's point. It's all about the gospel. The gospel is the only means. Another way to put it, Jesus is the only one who saves and changes sinners, so so the gospel must be safeguarded. It must be protected. It must be defended. It must be preserved. Because it's the only means by which we will accomplish that goal. Jesus is the only one who saves and changes sinners. Another statement for you. We must protect the gospel because it's the only way God saves and changes violent, aggressive, hateful sinners into merciful, gracious, people loving, God trusting, word obeying people, not the law. You want proof? Paul. And he's gonna do that. He's gonna show you I used to be a violent, aggressive, hateful sinner, but now he was a merciful, gracious, people-loving, God-trusting, word-obeying person. Boom, that's the the change. And only Jesus can do that. Paul was saved and changed by Christ in the gospel, And and then he was entrusted with this gospel, which he in turn entrusted to Timothy, which I in turn as the pastor entrust to you. Timothy was called to fight for the gospel, protect the gospel, keeping faith and a good conscience. Re- remember, this is ch- the church manual, God's manual for church life is our manual. The most explicit directions for church leadership and organization. So, so really, in essence, this, this, this book is directly written to someone like me, pastors, which I pass to you. So it's this gospel that Paul entrusted to Timothy. Paul who had experienced firsthand the mercy of God. An example for other sinners that they also can be saved. He was truly amazed. I mean, mean, think about it. If, If God can save Paul, a blasphemer, persecutor, violent, hurtful aggressor, he can save anybody. He can. Yes. Yes. He can save Joe Biden too. Kamala Harris. I'm serious. God is the one who initiates salvation. In mercy by His grace. He calls sinners who turn, who in turn will inevitably respond to Him. And they're changed forever. So, First, notice it's all about the gospel. Verse fifteen, and and we'll go into the, the faithful is the word. We'll go into all that da 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 da. But I I want to zero in on just that phrase: Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's all I want to focus on, because that's really the the focal point of this passage. You realize that, right? He came, implying his pre-existence, by the way. He came from the Father into the world. This was Christ's mission for entering the world to serve humanity by giving his life as a ransom. He came to the place humans live. Sin. Sin place where we need to be redeemed where we need forgiveness and he does that he, we, we are sinners we, we are lost we, we need to be saved we need God to be gracious to us to show us mercy and grace we're disobedient, rebellious, unrighteous and alienated from God We need God to act on our behalf to initiate grace by delivering us from our sin and its consequences eternal hell. Jesus did not come to call the righteous. Jesus didn't come to call people who obey the law. He did not come to call the righteous but what does he say? Sinners. Remember when Jesus said that? So all who respond in repentant faith, come today. If you're not a Christian, you should be saved today. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You're looking at one, and so am I. Be saved. Come to Christ. Respond. Repent. Trust Jesus. That's why he came. He died for sinners. He died in their place. It's it, it's all about the gospel. Don't miss this. It's all about the gospel, and I'll give you the first reason, which is really the main reason, because it's all about the gospel. Because Jesus is the one only one who saves and changes sinners. Case in point, Paul, twelve through seventeen. The focal point is the gospel. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and 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 it's all about this gospel because only Jesus saves sinners. Only Jesus changes sinners. Paul is the perfect example of this. Because notice how he begins here in verse 12. I give thanks to Christ our Lord who strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. God provided the basis for Paul being entrusted with such amazing great news. Strengthened him. I mean, he was so thankful that that the strong Christ transformed him from an absolute opposer to the gospel to an actual proclaimer of and suffer for the gospel. Christ strengthened Paul by calling him to salvation service. You see that when he says that, and, and that strength continued to give him. A, Christ continued to give to him as he stayed faithful to this gospel word. Christ gave him the strength to stay true to truth. That's so why he says, "I'm just thankful," and he says, "Because he considered me faithful." And you might, you might think, "Well, wait a minute. What, what are you say? That Paul was faithful. That's why God converted him." No, 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 no. It, it's not that Paul was faithful. So God converted him. The Lord Jesus considered him worthy. His grace of trust and as one who would be faithful, Jesus put Paul into his service and Paul was stunned that Christ would save him and then put him into his service. He was amazed. I mean, he was literally shocked that one like himself would be considered trustworthy by the Lord Jesus to be entrusted with this gospel. And and notice, he starts talking about why. Verse 13, formally, a blasphemer, persecutor, violent aggressor. He was reflecting on what he did. Remember Acts chapter eight, Acts chapter nine? And then his conversion in Acts chapter nine. And he uses these three words, expressions, to adequately show He was one of those sinners. Formerly a blasphemer. He spoke slanderously, foolishly, and injuriously about God and his people. He was the greatest enemy of Christians. Which leads to the next one a persecutor. He persecuted the church, which really, he persecuted Jesus. He hunted down God's people, and he was a violent aggressor. He was insolent, an insolent, violent person, disregarding others' rights. He didn't care. He wanted them dead. That was Paul. Look at what he says, in the middle of verse 13. New American standard says, and yet, literally from the Greek, it's but, it's a, a strong adversity of Allah. but I was given mercy. Because out of ignorance, I acted in unbelief. It was that moment when Christ appeared to him while on the Damascus road. Jesus showed him compassionate pity. And he he truly was ignorant of Jesus' status as, as the true Messiah. I mean, Paul really thought he was serving God by stamping out the blasphemy that Jesus was the God-man. But in, that, in reality, it was Paul who was blaspheming. And yet though ignorant, notice he says he was still culpable there at the end of verse 13 in unbelief still responsible even though people may be ignorant they're still responsible phrase we call culpable ignorance that's why the people so to speak don't know about Jesus Christ why they face eternal judgment in hell they're culpable they're still responsible but Christ Jesus still showed him such amazing mercy and look at how he Describes this mercy. Look at how it describes grace here in verse 14. And the grace of our Lord, New American Standard says, more than abundant, overflowingly abundant. That's kind of the word he uses. He actually makes up a word and puts some words together, is what Paul likes to do. Don't you like making up words? That's fun. Me, me and Phoebe, we like making up words. We can do it all the time. Overflowing abundance was God's grace towards Paul. Christ showed him a huge amount of unmerited favor. Overflowing abundance—it's like when you pour that soda drink, and all oh, the soda just, oh, just ah, the carbonation just goes all over the place. That's what Paul was experiencing—the grace of God, the mercy of God. When he was shown mercy, Jesus poured out his grace in huge abundance. And because of his grace, notice what it resulted. Notice the results. Notice the consequences. Notice what happens. Overflowing abundance, the next part of verse 14, with the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. You realize what he's saying. This merciful grace produced faith and love which are located only in Christ Jesus Christ saved him united him to himself in the sphere of faith and love towards eternal life Paul was stunned he was changed forever one writer says this quote grace provided his salvation faith appropriated it and love applied it end quote now the writer says this, grace precedes faith as the sun precedes the flower. I mean, isn't it great that Christ does not hold our past against us when we are in Him? You, you do realize that, right, Christian? God doesn't go, oh, you know, Travis, when you were, before you were a Christian, uh, you know, He doesn't do that. He doesn't hold that against us. He doesn't hold that over our heads. He forgives us, showing us amazing mercy and grace. The past is wiped away. It's gone. If you don't think that, then no offense, Christian, but you're wrong. Maybe you need to rethink gospel truth. Instead of blaspheming God, Persecuting Christians and being one mean jerk dude. He gave glory to God, trusted Christ, and then he loved Christians. That, my friends, is the power of God. You realize what this means? Do you realize what this means? Do you realize what this means for your marriage? Do you realize what this means for parenting? Do you realize what this means for counseling? Do you realize what this means for someone who's dealing with drug addiction? Do you realize what this means for someone who's dealing with drunkenness? Do you realize what this means for politics? of course there's practical things that we must do in marriage there's practical things you, you, know, you have to discipline your kids you give accountability to someone who's dealing with drug addiction drugs drinking we're called to vote but look at the end of the day at the end of the day our hope is in God to change hearts Husband, you can't change your wife. Wife, you can't change your husband. Parents, we can only discipline our kids and teach them the truth, realizing one day they will have to make a decision if they're gonna trust Christ or if they're gonna reject the gospel. Counseling, you know what? Hey, look, when you do counseling, what is this? Oh, I didn't put that up there. Oh, man, I didn't put that up there. At the end of the day, our hope is... in. God to change hearts Ah, I didn't put that up there I wanted to put that up there so put that in your notes write that down at the end of the day our hope is in God to change hearts because what did I put up here oh 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 okay now I put that there never mind Uh, I'm not as dumb as I look huh Uh, that's what you were thinking huh when you're doing counseling there's practical things you have to do for someone with uh, drug addiction accountability absolutely With drinking, absolutely. But at the end of the day, only God can change hearts. Vote. Sure, vote. You don't want abortion to take place? We don't want people, children to be killed? No way. Vote. But realize this. Only someone who believes in that, like Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, who believe in abortion, the only thing that's actually gonna really change their heart is God himself, not you voting for something. You you, you gotta understand this. You realize what this means. And there's practical things we do and you realize what this means for social justice. And, and, And I'm not saying we don't vote. I'm not saying we don't discipline our kids. I'm not saying we're not involved in social justice. But if we think as a church that that's what we're supposed to be about, you're wrong. You know, Maybe you should go to another church because that's not something to be about here. We gotta be about the, it's all about the gospel here. We, we, gotta, we gotta think this way. We gotta realize that only God can change hearts. He did it to Paul. This is our goal. Love from a pure heart, a good conscience and sincere faith. The gospel is the only means by which that will happen. It is, it's true. Notice what Paul does here. In verse 15. From the New American Standard, trustworthy statement. Literally, it's faithful as the word. Five times in the pastoral epistles, you see that. This is the truth that had become a doctrinal statement among Churches. It served as a familiar way to identify truth. It was like a fixed point of true doctrine. That's why Paul says this. Faithful is the word. And then he gives this phrase, numeric standard, deserving full acceptance. Literally, it's worthy, weighty, to be accepted as full truth. What's the full truth? What's the faithful word? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, He didn't come to the righteous. Sinners. And then look at what Paul does. Among whom I am foremost. Now he's not saying that in the sense of he's the first. But the fact that he led the opposition to Christ and his body even seeking to destroy his body. Paul was the most prominent of sinners given his actions. But look at what he does in verse 16, yet again. And yet, literally again, the strong adversity of buts, Allah, I was given mercy. And what was the purpose? I was given mercy for this reason. In order that, in me as the foremost, Jesus might demonstrate his utmost patience. One writer says that he would be an example quote of the application of Christ's redemption. It's so that Jesus would show his great patience saving even this violent aggressive sinner. That's why. Christ demonstrated not just his patience his utmost numeric sense is perfect his great Patience by being merciful to Paul and saving Paul. Paul was so taken and overwhelmed by the great patience of Jesus. God is so kind, gracious, patient, and merciful to sinners. It's what God loves to show. He loves to show his grace. He loves to show his mercy. That's why we worship him for it today, right? We worship him because he's been so merciful to us. He should condemn us. He's a holy God, We've rebelled against him. He should condemn us to hell, and yet he's shown us grace and mercy. He's forgiven us of all our sins so we worship Him. Hallelujah to the King of Kings. I mean, when, when one sees more and more the utter holiness of God, sheer, he will also see their utter sinfulness and total need for His grace. And for Paul, he realized that God made a spectacle of his goodness in his life. And, and look what he says might demonstrate his utmost patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Eternal life. He's the example. So people, other people would be saved and respond to Christ. Eternal life is the result of trusting Christ. The supernatural relational life of belonging to God and Christ which Christians we receive in the future but which we can enjoy in the here and now. We know God and Christ Jesus, the one whom He has sent. And this is what Christ will do for sinners who repent and trust Him. Just like He did to Paul, He will do to them. He gives them eternal life. I mean, just as Paul turned from sin and trusted Christ alone, having been given mercy and grace in the same way Christ gives mercy and grace to sinners to see, assent to, and trust in Christ Jesus. Paul Paul was an outline on how God deals with sinners all the time. How does God deal with sinners? He does this. As Paul turned from sin, the same way God... Christ gives mercy and grace to sinners so they will see the Lord Jesus Christ, they'll assent to the truth that it is true and they'll trust Christ. That's why it's all about the gospel. It's gotta be. God initiates his mercy and grace as he wills and it results in faith and love. all about the gospel because only Jesus saves and changes sinners only God can do that Paul was an outline on how God deals with sinners all the time and then look what happens Paul goes nuts verse 17 now to the king the eternal king I mean he, Paul bursts into praise wouldn't you I mean, he's just amazed. If you were shown such great mercy, wouldn't it dumbfound you? He who has been forgiven much loves much, Jesus says in Luke chapter 7, verse 47. He, he was stoked. Now to the eternal king, an Old Testament concept. He's the one who rules the past, the present, and the future. Every moment of time, it's all about God's mercy and grace towards sinners, not the law. To the eternal king, immortal. He's not subject to destruction or corruption or decay. Invisible, he cannot be seen because he's the spirit. He's the only God. There is no other God but Yahweh God, the God of Jacob. Be honor. That is the worth that is owed to him. Esteem him. Revere him. Be glory, ascribe to him praise for his awesome transcendence forever and ever unto the ages of the ages, eternity to eternity. So let it be, amen. He breaks out into praise because God saved him. Paul was struck with such a wonderful mystery. I thought about us singing that song, um, Come behold, O, wondrous mystery remember that song thought about singing that song reminded me of that too how in the world can the eternal king the transcendent only God show him such great mercy and grace to save him a sinner how can God do that calling him saving him changing him friends the only means by which we can accomplish love out of a pure heart a good conscience sincere faith the only means is the gospel because Jesus is the only one who saves sinners he's the only one who changes sinners and that's why it leads to this next part here so that's why we must safeguard the gospel We must hold to it. We must defend it. We must preserve it. Our culture is not going to do that. The evangelical culture is not going to do that. We as a local church have to do this. Safeguard the gospel. Note, look at what he does. Notice the command. This command this goes back to verse 3. Remember when he says the instruction to teach certain ones not to teach strange doctrines? Instruct them. Instruct these men not to teach strange doctrines. And the goal of our instruction this command I've given to you, Timothy. What was entrusted to Paul? Paul entrusted a faithful Timothy. I entrust it to you. Entrust means safekeeping or safeguarding and then transmit it to others. Uh, the, the, The idea came out of banking where people would actually deposit their wealth in the care of another. That's what you do in a bank. They take all your money and then they charge you for it. But I'm not bitter. As the Lord entrusted this gospel of grace to Paul, Paul gave it to Timothy. And notice, he says, Timothy, my child, literally. Spiritual son, spiritual father to spiritual son. And and look at what he says here about Timothy. In accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, this command of entrusting this to Timothy Is according to the prophecies that were previously made about Timothy. So God, I'll put it up here for you God, by the Spirit, supernaturally declared Timothy through revelation, to Timothy through revelation, that this was his ministry. Now, now we we don't know when, we don't know what context. Paul doesn't go into that. But notice, it was by these prophecies, notice he says that. That by them, the end of verse 18, you may, military term, fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. Fight for the truth. Fight for the gospel. Fight the good fight. Notice into verse 19, keeping, literally having faith and a good conscience. Faith and a good conscience. Well, that's sounds that sounds. where did I see that before? I don't know. Verse 5. Faith and a good conscience. Dot, dot. Trusting God and His revelation and having a life of obedience to Him and His word according to His will from His word. That's what that means. That's, That's what it means. You fight for this, Timothy. Timothy's ministry was to struggle for the truth, fight for good conduct. I've entrusted this. God entrusted this to me. I've entrusted it to you. And I, as your pastor, am entrusting this to you. You need to do this too. It needs to be all about the gospel, and you must safeguard this. Timothy had to be deliberate and careful with his life as one who was entrusted with this gospel of mercy and grace. Be vigilant. Fight. Have a good conscience. Safeguard this gospel, Timothy, because, because some have suffered shipwreck. He says this in verse 19, which some having rejected, have suffered shipwreck concerning the faith. When he says that which, it refers back to a good conscience. Grammatically. So it means, a rejection of a good conscience leads to suffering a shipwrecked faith. And remember, a good conscience is having a life obedient to God and His Word. And since they willfully rejected or repudiated a life that obeys God, they suffered shipwreck. And notice, destruction follows rejecting truth. And he says here, numeric Standard translate this at the end of verse nineteen, in regard to their faith. Literally, it's concerning the faith. The faith, the body of doctrine that is the faith. What is the highlight, the main point? What is the faithful word? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It's the gospel. They suffer shipwreck when it comes to the gospel. Really, in essence, they're rejecting the gospel. And then he names them. Verse twenty, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander. We find out later in Paul's second letter to Timothy that Hymenaeus' error, Himenaeus error, was saying that the resurrection had already taken place. And and it seems like both of these two guys, Hymenaeus and Alexander, were were leaders in the church, maybe even elders. Maybe they were two of the false teachers that Paul talks about in verse 3. Alexander, we find out later, that he vigorously opposed Paul's teaching. What exactly we don't know. Paul doesn't say. But, 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 But obviously these two resisted Paul. And then he says this statement. Which should freak you out. I mean, it freaks me out. Whom I've given to Satan. You don't hear that every day. I've given it to Satan. I I'm sorry, what? So that they may be taught not to blaspheme. What what is what, what does that mean? An almost exact parallel verse to what he says here in one Timothy chapter one verse twenty is in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. Regarding the man who was sleeping with his stepmother, and the Corinthian church was boasting about it. And Paul was telling them, remove the man from among yourselves, discipline him. So it seems, when talking about delivering or giving to Satan, it was an act of church discipline upon a, So called brother who is unrepentant. It was an act of disfellowship. Paul did an act of disfellowship with Himenaeus and Alexander. It involves disfellowshipping with such a person, or she or he would be cut off from the fellowship of God's people and sent into the realm controlled by Satan. That's what that means. as I said just a few moments ago, it involves disfellowshipping with such a person. And in our context, it means to remove them from membership and you regard them as unsaved. Uh, not in the sense of shunning them. You know, when you're in a relationship with someone who doesn't know Christ, it's a different relationship with someone you, who does know Christ but yet even with this relationship with person who so-called brother and they're under discipline the conversation will be all about uh, so have you repented and trusted Christ have you repented and from your sin probably makes for a very uncomfortable conversation which is why people when they're being church disciplined they leave The safety and the security of Christian fellowship is withdrawn. And the protecting influence of the truth is abandoned. That's how one writer put it, which is a great way to put it. But, but look at the goal of doing this. The goal was not to destroy them. He says it was to teach a teacher redemptive lesson that they may learn not to blaspheme. They spoke erroneous things about the gospel. A person sees their life and that their teaching displeases God and may it drive them to repentance look the Lord knows those who are His that's in 2 Timothy chapter 2 so if, he need, if need be he, He'll allow those to face the onslaught of the evil one so they would repent when a professing Christian's life does not match their profession, it brings doubt. This is how vital the gospel is. It's all about the gospel. and it has to be. And we have to preserve this and defend it. We, we must protect the gospel. The gospel, it's the only way God... Saves and changes violent, aggressive, hateful sinners into merciful, gracious, people loving, God trusting, word obeying people. Not the law. Not the law. And we have to safeguard it. We must defend the gospel. We must realize Jesus is the only person who can save and change sinners. God deals with the heart and it's the gospel when you speak the gospel it's the means that God uses to change the heart it's the only means God uses to change the heart you can't change a person's heart you can't do it Jesus is the only one who saves and changes sinners so the gospel must be safeguarded The gospel, not the law, is the only means to the goal. So it must be safeguarded. It must be preserved. From Scripture, to me, to you. When I was in Jerome about a month or so ago, I was talking with a guy, um, the gospel came up. Uh, spiritual conversation came up. And he was familiar with uh, some aspects of gospel truth and started saying, uh, someone within his family, I can't remember who, uh, saying, well, yeah, I mean, somebody, I can't believe, you know, they're saying that someone can be in jail and having murdered somebody and raped and done all these things and yet they can just simply uh, trust Jesus or believe in Jesus And God forgives them. So now, mind you, I had been reading 1 Timothy. So I said to him, you know, Paul, who was one of the most extensive writers in the New Testament, he was saved. And he was a murderer, he was a, a persecutor of the church and yet God saved him and forgave him and yet he wrote most of the New Testament kind of changed the tone of the conversation and you've probably heard that before right people probably said that to you before well how can God forgive this person know, all you got to do is just bring up Paul God did that with Paul you do with anybody would you pray with me and father we take the time to pray because we need your help spirit we need your help father we need your help by your spirit by the power of your spirit for us as your church to safeguard this gospel truth Which is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The immortal, invisible, the only God stepped into our realm, sinful realm of humanity. Jesus, the God-man, died in the place of sinners, rose from the dead. And the call is to repent and trust Jesus. It's that gospel truth. Help us as your church to safeguard this truth and help us to understand the ramifications of this truth that it's all about the gospel and what it does to just so many different aspects to just daily life. This is not some theological jargon, this is how we treat our wives, how wives treat their husbands, how children obey their parents, how parents treat their children, how counselees treat counsellors, counselors, how counsellors treat counselees, how, how we deal with this whole political nonsense that's happening in our world, in our country whatever the outcome the at the end of the day God only you can change hearts that's a gospel focus that's gospel kingdom living help us as a church to safeguard this take a few moments if you would encourage you a few moments of silence maybe recite the gospel again maybe read through the passage again read through your notes whichever you know we sing you know that we'll pray but just some time between you and the Lord be encouraged from the truth from the gospel word a few moments just between you and the Lord let your mind just ponder these things okay Do that now, please.